Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to another episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with my co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you? I am great Paul, I'm really good. Um, I should feel quite tired, it's been a very long day but we're back We're back on our shit man. We're doing this again and uh, really looking forward to it. However, there is uh, I guess a darker shadow across the, the film world and, and wider than the film world, much wider this week because of the the departure from the the earthly plane of, of one Stan Lee, who is a guy who is just sort of legendary in status and in standing within, yeah, all kinds of communities, not limited to comic books and, and movies. So, yeah, that piece of news is kind of going to form the the backbone, if you will, for this show, because we're going to base our top five on the man himself. Right, Paul, what have we got coming up? Can you basically run down the show? I can run down the show. Yeah. So we're going to do we're going to have the usual sections um, and Stanley, 95 years old, which is a great innings. Sad to obviously sad to see him go. but That's, that's a great innings. And he will not be forgotten in a hurry. That's for sure. Um, so, yeah, later on in the show, we're going to do our top five Stanley cameos uh, in these that can be his cameos in any films, not specifically Marvel films, because his cameos normally brighten the the films that he's in even if the even if the the films have been bad the cameos normally lift the mood shall we say so uh yeah we're gonna have a bit of fun with that and list our list our favorite uh, stanley cameos uh and then the rest of the show we're going to do the usual sections of what we have been watching uh we're going to do a feature review this week of the new jj abrams presented i think Gorefest uh, overlord uh and then we're going to have a look at after the top five we're going to have a look at where does the MC, MCU go next? Kind of a tribute to Stan Lee, really, and just see where the MCU films are, are going next. I know we talked, we touched on it a bit, I think, in previous episodes, but I thought it seemed suitable this week, considering the great man has left us. So, yeah, that's what we've got up for you this week. Uh, Pete, shall we make a start? Yeah, let's do that, man. So, first section that we always uh, get to is what we've been watching, and I'm picking up gradually, Paul, um, back on back on trying to watch well, more I've been, than I've, a film I've been a week. Watching your letterbox, I've been watching your letterbox. And uh, still looking on as, as my number has now drifted over 300 for the year. I've kind of uh, I've been watching your letterbox creep up by like one or two a week. And I noticed this. You've seemed to have put more effort in this week, so I'm I'm, yeah. I'm proud of you. I mean, you have been busy. Yeah. Pete, well, well fair, I could so. have had a classic Paul Anderson week of watching like 25 short films and posting them all on letterbox, <laughs> but you know I, I didn't do that. Uh, no, but you're absolutely right. I have been sluggish in consumption of late and and trying to sort of pick it back up again. And there will be a more prolific rate of sort of. Um, reviews coming out in terms of this section of the show but for this week anyway i've upped my number from one to two get excited Uh, the first one of those as well is going to seem like a really weird pick because we usually deal with kind of things that are exciting additions to the film world or maybe classic films from from back in the day what i've got paul is i guess almost at the point of classic status now that we're 19 years removed from its release it's um i went back to david fincher's movie fight club from 1999 and and re-watched that because it came up through my cable service and this is one of those movies that like on rewatch, i realized a few things about it 
One is, and I think I saw you mention this in, in a review that you'd written, that the politics of this movie become more and more sort of clanging and um, <laughs> yes, sort of a, a affected and kind of almost juvenile with like every rewatch. And I as think you I get... described it as six six form politics. I think yeah, right. And and, and the truth of the matter is, Paul, when this came out, we probably were coming up to the age of being in sixth form, so it was kind of perfect and and very much zeitgeisty for the time, just like. Like something like train spotting was around that period of the sort of mid 90s to late 90s as well with this one you've got this guy uh, played by edward norton who is by by his own account a guy who sort of struggles with his own existence and with asserting himself and with really getting anywhere in life and he's just a bit run down by all of it and he meets the enigmatic, charismatic figure of Tyler Durden, played by peak Brad Pitt at the height of his powers. Who <laughs> is a soap just, salesman, if I remember it, rightly. He's a soap salesman <laughs> who sort of embodies everything that the Norton character wants to be, aspires to, and could never be in his wildest dreams. And from that point on, the two of them set about a journey that takes in, uh, well, underground fight clubs, uh, secrecy, recruitment. Uh, meatloaf. <laughs> punching people in the face. Yeah, meatloaf's tits. All sorts of stuff that we're familiar with if you've, you know, even a passing interest or a, a first watch of this movie at some point. Um, we know the story, Paul. I think that for all its, ne- like, contemporary failings when, when judged in 2018... What most struck me about rewatching uh, Fight Club is that this is a film that's more deeply buried in my psyche than I remembered. I know so many of the lines from the movie off <laughs> by heart, and I must have seen it dozens of times. I almost feel like I have my own, uh, <laughs> my own. I don't want to give anything away if there are any spoilers for people who are 19 years behind current releases. But uh, you know the the revelations as they as they occur, uh, revolving around Tyler Durden's true identity identity and then the sort of rush around the world to discover that all this stuff you've done is completely forgotten to yourself right mm. um it's like i've forgotten that i've rewatched this probably five six seven times in the past well, it, i mean like if there was i would say it's very i'd say there was probably no cooler film for about five years than fight club if not a bit longer it's got it's got a reputation as being one of those films that everyone had to watch like and it, people were sneaking into the cinema to see it underage, and it, yes, yeah, just it was very, very edgy. And I think Vig- Vig- Finch's visual style is is incredible, but I would second to what you say on the politics. I think at, at times it gets a little bit grating for me, uh, and you kind of it's supposed it's supposed to be this kind of edgy sort of fuck the establishment film and then you've got basically like a whole page advert for ikea when you go down his apartment and it like labels everything in ikea catalog trying to be clever and all that is is just product placement for ikea let's be perfectly frank about this like yeah, it, yeah, yeah. so I, yeah it's a good it's a very well-made film well, don't get me wrong i'm well, not just, knocking it i enjoy it but but i mean that's basically just like how you might actually choose sitting on your couch watching my numbing spirit spirit crushing <laughs> yeah. movies right that might seem quite appealing to a lot of people but yeah i i think that we have to remember here paul that this comes from the source novel from chuck palaniak who is a man who's um i don't know if you know about this but like his father was killed in a home invasion and he through a lot of his writing presented characters who are sort of in need or looking searching for some kind of father figure some overarching or replacement father figure right and in this film that entirely makes sense but it's not just that about the source novel Fight Club. It's the fact that it was actually uh, rejected. Well, the first novel that Palahniuk, uh, Palahniuk, um 
offered up to his publisher was rejected out of hand and he wrote Fight Club as a short story that was essentially designed to upset the publisher with zero chance (laughs) of being published and only later was picked up and expanded into a full novel and then basically flopped at the box office and became this cult hit on home video uh you know vhs and later dvd so like it's got this weird life to it fight club and i think that like there's still enough there that that is thought provoking although you might be able to to sort of weed through and see that some of it is quite clanging at at this stage and to be honest paul like i'm you know now not twice the age but but a lot older than i was at the time that i first saw this film yeah probably twice the age actually and lines from the source novel um from chuck palaniak like if our fathers are our models for god what does that tell us about god have stuck with me for the entire Mm. time since i saw this first so there's, there's power in this thing, man. It still packs a punch, uh, if you can forgive the No pun, pun. intended, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that one's, uh, for, for anyone who doesn't know, that's Fight Club from 1999. Um, second for me, Paul, I wanted to touch on one that I missed because I wasn't on this show because I was off gallivanting on my honeymoon. Um, <laughs> this is Halloween from this year, 2018. Oh, what did you think? From David Gordon Green. Um, I thought this is kind of a, a film of roughly two halves. There's a half where David Gordon Green, I think, does a really bang up job of establishing a a world in which the uh, Michael Myers character is going to come back onto the scene from his lockdown in an asylum and you've got these two people who brilliantly I think in 2018 are making a podcast about true crime and past murders which is like exactly what happens constantly uh, nowadays you've got all of that build-up stuff up to and including when those podcasters reach a rather horrible demise and then like a lot of what comes after that when we just get into sort of hunter killer mode to me is is dull um and it just sort of it, it dropped at least a star in my estimation in the last like half hour or so um yes the stuff with uh, jamie lee curtis is great i think jamie lee curtis is having a not only having a good time but is like it, it's a really strong performance on a number of levels in this movie and i think that is the the standout performance by an absolute mile oh you're 100 percent. yeah it's really good but having said that like the judy Greer, like judy greer I was thinking, and it, it, maybe it's overly harsh, but Judy Greer is dreary in most things. And I think that this is one of the dreariest Greer performances in, in some time. <laughs> and then the daughter, so the granddaughter to uh, Jamie Lee Curtis here, is also particularly uninteresting. So it was hard to care about any potential victim of michael myers other than the showdown that you knew was inevitable with jamie lee curtis herself so i kind of it's almost like i I felt a groan i felt a sort of sinking feeling inside myself when i we had to go through the motions having said all that and i think it was was it grace on the show who was talking about her affection for this uh, reworking of the source material i thought that within what i expected going in this was actually, I would say, a slightly... Um, I, I would give it a slightly more positive review than maybe I expected to. Uh, I think... Okay. Yeah, I think it slightly surpassed my expectations, but then my expectations were pretty low 
Um, so, so I think my expectations were fairly high for it, to be honest, and I think that's probably why I came away fit with it with a sense of disappointment. I just felt it was, um, yeah, it was like a six form six form film student trying to make a John Carpenter film and just oh, almost, but Paul, like what? Did it, no, did no, it. come on, man! Like which but no, not in which a... sick form film student is going to produce <laughs> that? This is way above what would be possible. Well, no, I mean, it just it, it just felt like it just felt like a no, not a six form. Maybe six forms too harsh then, but it just almost felt like a, a lazy reproduction of John Carpenter's work rather than trying to do something in his own right with it i think it almost felt it almost felt too slavish to carpenter's work that it just wasn't it it didn't have enough life on its own i don't think do not think then that the defense of that approach would be that maybe david gordon green has tried to sort of pay homage to that john carpenter aesthetic the stylings i mean john carpenter's uh credited on the soundtrack to this movie right yeah he did the soundtrack with his daughter i think or his son right so it's like kind of in lockstep with the original on that front so from that point of view maybe david gordon green's just wanted to do something that is it's sort of fan service um and and for your to your mind maybe has has sort of flown too close to the original but i don't know if i'd be as damning on taking that tack with this because because what's the alternative i mean how far divergent can you go when you've got this is the killer this is the you know woman who's haunted know, just, by what's happened in the past. To, give it to someone that didn't make Pineapple Express and Your Highness, and you might get a better film out of it. But then David, <laughs> Gordon, but then David Gordon Green's done good work though, hasn't he? Pineapple Express, Your Highness. No, I'm going to disprove you in a minute. Uh, what's that movie, George Washington or whatever? He's done good work. D- David Gordon Green's done like weird, like indie stuff that's quite, quite uh, different from from. T- like throwaway comedy i think i mean danny mcbride is one of the writers i'll give you that i mean those guys work together a lot and you might think that that's like an odd choice for something like this um but oh undertow george washington snow angels i've not seen any of those in fairness i don't much like what i've seen of his i'll be honest yeah and i thought i thought halloween don't get me wrong like as if you if you listen back to the episode i thought halloween was was okay i didn't hate it by a by a wide margin i just was left very nonplussed by the whole thing yeah, Prince Prince Avalanche as well, which was incredibly slow with Paul Rudd, but but like he's a director who sort of operates on at least uh, or at least in two gears, two distinct gears. One of them is just like really goofy comedy, and the other one is maybe a bit more serious and, and indie leaning and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know, man. Slight slightly above my expectations, but like I say, they were quite low. What have you watched recently? Before we make this section into a fucking hour long lead into the actual show. <laughs> Uh, I have watched a number of things. Um, a couple of these watched at Bath Film Festival. I just wanted to say a few words about at, oh, at Film Bath Festival, it's called this year. Um, it was a great experience. Um, there was a lot of very interesting films on. I'm not going to talk about all of them here, but I think I spent all but one day in the cinema last week. So that was a good week for me. I enjoyed it greatly. So I'll be back next year. So thanks for putting that on. Um, yes. So one of, yes, a couple of these I watched there. Um, the first of which being Wildlife, um, the directorial debut of one Paul Dano, uh, written with his long-term partner and now mother of his child uh, or mother of their child should I say Zoe Kazan so uh, I was quite excited about this one because as people should be aware I'm a massive fan of Paul Dano as I think you are Pete in fairness um, and this stars um, a very talented cast of Carrie Mulligan, Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, a young rising star that I think we'll see a lot more of in the near future uh, Jake Oxenbold um, this basically centres around what initially seems to be like uh, a very happy, well, a happy-ish American family um, until Jake Gyllenhaal's character is is laid off from work. Um, he then goes off to fight a wildfire and Carrie Mulligan's character uh, takes umbrage to this and 
not so much as a breakdown, but perhaps doesn't behave as she should. Um, I'm not going to give any pot spoilers away there. Um, and you're basically left with the Ed Oxenbold character, the teenager, the teenage son, kind of picking up the pieces of his parents' failing relationship, really. Um, it was really good, you'll be pleased to know, Pete. It didn't let me down in the slightest. I think um, if you go into this expecting kind of overwrought, um, not overwrought, but I would say sort of, intense family melodrama that you can often get from from these kind of films that's not this film um and i think that's that's state partly down to the director i think it's a very it's a very it takes a very understated approach it's a very naturalistic script and it's a very convincing script um but a good script is is meaningless really without great performances and most people have probably read by now that carrie mulligan is absolutely incredible in this film and that is not an understatement i would be very surprised if she doesn't go home with a best actress oscar for this uh, and it's well deserved um ed oxenbold um is going to be a big star as i mentioned earlier he's very very good um and doesn't get doesn't get kind of lost in the the powerhouse that is jake gyllenhaal and carrie mulligan um he's very very good in this uh and what the film does really if really really effectively as i said you can you kind of get the sense that the teenager is the only adult left in the room um so yeah highly recommend wildlife it said it's understated a few people came out the cinema going oh that wasn't as gripping as i thought it was going to be it's not meant to be gripping it's meant to be understated it's meant it's it's measured and very, very, very measured and very adult screenwriting, I would say, and it's all the better for it. So that's Wildlife. So if you haven't seen it, Pete, see it. It's out now-ish, I think, um, around some places somewhere yeah. with other cinemas. And, and I can't jump in and say anything about this movie because I haven't seen it yet, but um, I would say as an aside, I'd recommend the Paul Dano, uh, Zoe Kazan collaboration in uh, Ruby Sparks from what five years ago. Uh, it's really good yeah. and underseen. So yeah, uh, check that out. Too. Yeah, it's I like, like a... Yeah, writer creating his idealized version of a girlfriend. It's a bit like it's a bit like a, a sort of highbrow weird science. So yeah, get on it. Yeah, it's a good um, way to describe it, actually. Yeah. What what else, Paul? Uh, this is, the next one I've watched is Peter Lou, uh, the latest film from Mike Lee, based around the uh, Petersfield massacre yeah. in Manchester in the eighteen hundreds. I've been trying to get to uh, this, on, but Peter. I didn't have seventeen hours available uh, to to get to the cinema. So no, I haven't squeezed it's it. Two in. and a half hours, um, and unfortunately for me, I've got some pretty big problems with this film. I have to say, it, it, it's not to say that it's a bad film because it isn't. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that Mike Lee isn't a good filmmaker because who would I be to say that? Because he's a very good filmmaker, and from a technical standpoint, the film is very, very good. It creates a fantastic atmosphere, like the budget spent on it, the way it builds the sort of world of Manchester in the 1800s is utterly convincing. You can almost you you are there, like without a doubt, it drags you into that world, and it's nice to see that in a British in British made film as well. They've they've given it enough money where they can do it convincingly so that's all great um my problem with this comes down to its politics not well not the film's politics itself there's nothing wrong with the film's politics it's just it's just unnecessary overtly driving these politics down your throat at every possible opportunity i would say pretty much the whole of the first half of the film pete is is just different characters giving the same rousing speech about the treatment of the working class which is fine it's clearly not acceptable it's clear it's clearly not on the way it goes the historical event tells you tells you you can make your own mind up from the fact there's there's a massacre in this film so you can make your own mind up from that it doesn't need the same characters effectively giving the same speech over and over and again it just makes the film hard to watch for all the wrong reasons it just makes it a little bit boring for protracted periods um and then you've got 
Um, and then you've got the so the Manchester magistrates who set the who set the um, British troops on the work. Basically, there's a there's a large protest for anyone who doesn't know what happened. There was a large protest about the treatment of the working class and how they wanted the right to vote, essentially. Uh, and then the Manchester magistrates set British troops onto the demonstration, and there was a number of people were killed by British troops. So it was horrific. Um, but the Manchester magistrates here are seemingly played by what I can only describe in, in a pantomime way. So I'm not saying that these are very nice people, not in the slightest, but I don't think they've kind of farted around and sneered at the screen like Captain Hook, which is what they do here. So it just gets a bit silly and overwrought for its own good, to be honest. The, the massacre itself is well handled. The film is technically well made, but yeah, it's hard to watch for the wrong reason. So it's a, it's a tough one to recommend other than for anything else other than technical merit, to be honest. So I'd be intrigued to see what you think, actually, if you do get to it. Yeah, I think um, I think I will. Yeah. I think I will. I, there's been a couple of slots where it was sort of almost possible. And then it was just that once you factor in half an hour of garbage that you get when you go to the cinema at the beginning. Yeah, you're there for three hours. Yeah, on a movie of that length, you've really got to have like an entire afternoon free. So, yeah, I, I will get to it as soon as I can. Is there anything else to round off this section? Uh, yeah, there's one more that I wanted to bring up, and this is another one I saw at Bar Film Festival. This was a quite a, a well, a very heartfelt documentary actually that I thought would be quite hard to watch. And this is a documentary uh, called A Love That Never Dies, um, and this is was written and directed by um, a couple, Jane Harris and Jimmy Edmonds, who lost their son um, in a car accident very, very suddenly. And it's basically a documentary about grief. Um, and it's kind of it's focused on a series of talking heads. They do a road trip of the uh, basically a road trip of the U.S. kind of in honor of losing their son, and they go to speak to other couples that have lost basically children in a very sudden circumstances. And actually, uh, you, you'd think that would be hard to watch, and at times it is. Don't get me wrong; it, it is obviously a sad subject matter. But what's great about this documentary is it kind of you come out feeling a bit more positive about grief and they talk about they talk about why grief can you know why you need to embrace grief and i just think it was a very it's well worth watching i'm not really doing it much justice by, by talking about it here but i just they've they've got a great choice great choice of subjects i think it was a very brave and honest thing for them to do it's a very difficult thing to put on stage and actually the director was up on stage as well answering questions about about it as well so that was great and yeah they, they've got a great choice of subjects credit to the families for all their honesty and like you know, just be willing to talk about this and i just think it's yeah it's done as part of what's called the good grief project so i would check that out as well um and just about how to kind of focus grief really and almost use it and embrace it rather than hide from it and the film's trying to say like you are you are allowed to talk to people that about their loss and that kind of thing and actually that can help sometimes so yeah quite a very powerful documentary and very very good if you if you find it somewhere well my it. my tag on that one paul again haven't seen it can't comment on the film no. is uh there, there's a, a there's space in your life for probably more than just this amazing podcast which you should definitely subscribe to but uh there's a podcast at the moment called Griefcast, which is essentially a f female interviewer whose guest each week is someone usually somewhat in the public eye who is on the show to talk about a, a particular uh, area of grief in their life usually the loss of a loved one very close and near and dear to them and again like you've just said and to reiterate like that idea that that level of, of sort of all-consuming grief can actually be channeled to achieve something maybe more positive than mm. you would at first think so yeah check out Griefcast check out what was sorry what was the name of the film again uh, the name of the film is A Love That Never Dies I think it's on festival tours at the moment I know they have put it in some cinema screens I'm not sure where it gets a home release but if you want more information on it then go to the Good Grief Project or Google the Good Grief Project and you can find all the information on it there so yeah well worth checking um, out on cinema screens more information after this we're going to talk about something uh, with a bunch more information that is currently on cinema screens that is the film Overlord right after this break 
So yes, Overlord, uh, the latest. I say the latest film from J.J. Abrams' studio. He's got some. He's got some role to play in this, hasn't he, J.J. Abrams? I'm sure. Well, he like, is, I would suggest, Paul, that if you didn't, if you didn't know that information, did. I probably wouldn't have said anything about that information. But yeah, J.J. <laughs> Abrams, as as I understand it, this is based on some original doodle sketched on a on a napkin or something. It's like an idea from J.J. Abrams that has been then brought to the screen by writer director. Excuse me, by director. Julius Avery and writer Billy Ray. Uh, Julius Avery is a director that I don't really know much of. He's done a couple of things, Jerry Can and one other that I haven't seen. But his next project after Overlord is going to be a reimagining, reworking, who knows, of uh, the classic Flash Gordon. So um, probably that that thing oh, is going to get okay. get major release and so on. But we're not talking about Flash Gordon, Paul. We're talking about Overlord. And what this thing is is the story of a group of American soldiers who are dropped behind enemy lines on the eve of D-Day during World War II and the the film basically begins there it begins with these guys on a plane that is being shot to pieces and uh, going up in flames I believe it was done with practical effects and they're tossed out into what seems like absolute hell um, only to try to clamber to some sort of safe haven uh, and to be honest behind the enemy lines and surrounded by uh, Nazi forces that seems like there is almost a zero percent chance that they will survive um we are with those guys and we are on a journey with them that becomes something less like uh, Saving Private Ryan and something more like Wolfenstein. Um, the, exactly the, like Wolfenstein. The reason for that particular comment, which we'll come more on to uh, as we go along here, is that within the compound that they have to infiltrate in order to cut out uh, a radio jamming tower it's a communication communicate tower, well yeah, it? i think yeah. it's a, for jamming signals rather than than sending signals yeah. uh is something murkier even than maybe just the nazis that are marching all around them which is that there are experiments taking place and as as peter bradshaw has been at pains to point out yes there were experiments during world war ii carried out by the nazis that's a real thing this film is not really a historical um, sort of transcription of what happened in World War no, II, it and it's not. not really interested in being that. Um, it's interested instead in being a sort of um, gory, uh, bloodletting, over-the-top, slightly freaky uh, celebration, I would say, of like genre and splatter and grindhousey stuff. Paul, did all of that congeal into something that worked for you? Didn't work for you and before you just like say absolutely yes or absolutely no maybe taking taking us in from that start in the film and how well i was going to ask jack to put a clip in at this point but oh well, <laughs> jack's not here but you can you can cut across me and say that if you want uh, all right well with that seamless introduction here's a clip <laughs> what happened here inside the church Crowds grab me as soon as I hit the ground. Inside the church? How did you get inside the church? Dead bodies. What? Slow down. Slow down. They're doing down. experiments on them in there. They're doing experiments on the villagers. What? Just like her aunt. They're burning people with these flamethrowers and they're still moving the bodies. Cocoon things in there. Did you get eyes on the tower compound? She doesn't, she doesn't have a body and she's still, she's still talking and I, I saw those appellations. Did you get eyes on the tower compound? Right, sorry, before I so rudely interrupted you, I believe you're asking me a question, Pete. Uh, what was it? Yeah, the question w w was essentially, <laughs> when you were being dropped in with those soldiers into this movie uh, and into the situation that they were in, 
did you feel like this was going to be a glorious bunch of fun or this was going to be something that, that wasn't going to work for you at all? And then in the end, did it work out in one direction or the other? Well, my expectation going into this, this is the kind of thing I would normally really quite enjoy. I'm a big fan of an over-the-top gory B-movie and I, yeah, I re- regularly watch them with some regularity. Um, and then, and again, like the concept of it is great. Like you've you compared it rightly to Castle Wal- the Wolfenstein series of games. Those games have always made me laugh. I've enjoyed the action in that. Uh, Dead Snow is another kind of Nazi zombies, the similar theme, which I very much liked. So I went into Overlord expecting to really enjoy it. And I have to say, you mentioned the opening sequence earlier. Uh, and the opening sequence earlier is definitely one of the film's high points because uh, I thought the opening sequence was great. Um, and I would really enjoyed it. It looked it looked like the budget here is it's nice to see a film of this of this nature with with a bigger budget than they usually get so that looks really really good uh also i want to give kudos to the cast i think the cast are much better than the material here and certainly a much better cast than material a, a film of this type would normally attract because we've got i always forget his Wyatt, name Wyatt, uh, Rus- Kurt Russell's Wyatt, son, Russell. Wyatt russell um who was the other guy joe, joe van adepo is the uh voice character Joe Van Adepo, yeah, uh, who I thought was great here. I've not seen him in anything before, but on the basis of this, I thought it was a really strong performance. So, uh, and and just those... just in there, Paul, before you move on from that, like it should mention that the guys uh, in the squadron, like very quickly, or the survivors at least in this little group, very quickly uh, cross paths with a character called Chloe, who is a French villager from the occupied village that they're going to uh, infiltrate. And she's played by the actress Matilda Olivier. And I thought that that performance was also quite strong and worth a... A little shout out. Yeah, I think although I think all the cast were, were good to be honest. I think it, it really kind of took me by surprise because you don't normally it's not you, the acting isn't normally as important in, in films of this nature, and I think that's possibly why it, it shines out because it is really good here. Um, so yeah, I'd like that bit of it. Overall, though, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't really go for this in the way that I thought I would. I found the whole thing rather po-faced and I thought it took itself very very seriously and I just I didn't normally I'd say normally I think things like this for me need to be funny and need to make an effort to make you laugh because the material is that silly and this is a very very silly film and I just I don't know I just found the whole thing a little bit stagnant and a bit okay here we go so you mean these things like this need to be funny like the recent the predator movie right which was really funny because because you know, because I just want to come back like the, the reason why I come from from that angle into like opening up the discussion is because I saw before I went to see this in our if it's not too revealing to say in our shared WhatsApp group you had written this thing uh, which I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning which was a uh, uh, overlord, overlord more like overboard <laughs> uh, like b o r e d and and I thought okay well firstly I'm a little it's a little bit disappointing because Paul's kind of like torpedoed the film for me already and I haven't actually seen it <laughs> but then on the other hand like usually generally speaking listeners to this show probably know that like a lot of our opinions are not that far apart when it comes to the things that we take in right so i went to this and sitting there uh, watching events unfold from this kind of clammy palmed uh you know bullet storm in the opening to the guys making their way into their village thinking about their plan how we're going to make our way to the tower um, and then everything going nuts around them i I kept waiting for the moment where I was like, oh, no, I get it. This is boring. This is dreary. This has run its course. And like, I found myself baffled, not because I think it's like an astonishingly great piece of work, but because I just thought from all the things that you say about stuff you like, how is this a film that you've been so hard? I totally get it. 
No, I totally get it. And I, I'm, from what I've been reading, I am quite in a minority, I think. And I, I totally get it because this is the kind of thing I would normally like lap up. I'll go into it's like as much as well, I'll, you know me, I will watch literally anything. I will put any film on and I'll watch it through to the end. And this is the kind of thing that I would normally 100% enjoy. And you look at the Blu-ray section next to me, I'm looking at fucking Motel But defend Hell. yourself. I'm uh, hearing a lot like, about your Blu-rays. I can't. Why are you so, I go, why no, are you no. so down on this movie? Because... I didn't but, enjoy it. I just but, didn't but enjoy then, it. It just it 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 didn't it didn't I didn't enjoy it. I sat there. I I thought I'd like it. I just sat there. I found myself a little bit bored. I thought it again. It's not that it has to be funny. I just thought the whole thing was po-faced. I just thought the whole thing took itself far too seriously for the type of material it is. I sat there and I kept thinking of Wolfenstein and I thought, well actually Wolfenstein is actually much better done than this and that's a video but then, game. But so, then do you think it's all perfect? Like some of the, the uh, practical effects stuff and the stuff where you see, yeah, I mean, it's no great spoiler. I think it's in the trailer to, to reveal that there are uh, not only experiments, but sort of like a, a serum that turns the, the soldiers into like super soldiers. And it's all a bit weird and, and, and gruesome and, and paranormal and stuff. But like th there are practical effects stuff like where one of the soldiers sort of bends himself in half and like snaps his own sternum or whatever. Where you think, well, there's not, it's not done in like a po face way. It's done in like a sort of uh, like a harking back to like American Werewolf and like things like that, where practical effects are, are sort of there for the joy of of even like John Carpenter movies, where they're there for the joy of that revelation and that like oh that looks gross or that looks unnatural or that looks weird and like yes, you're right. I don't think there's like a load of laugh out loud moments in this movie. In fact, there are very few jokes. But like as a piece of just like silly popcorn spectacle. I, I was having a lovely old time with this movie. I, I get it. I get it. And that's what I thought. I Maybe, maybe it's because I watched it pretty much straight after Peterloo. <laughs> and maybe Mike Lee's, maybe Mike Lee's political posturing just put me in a foul right. mood. And I just turned two and a half hours of Peterloo and then bounced pretty much 15 minutes later straight into Overlord. Perhaps that put me in a, perhaps that put me in a bum mood. The other thing that might put me in a bad mood is up until about five minutes before it started, I did think for the first time ever I would have a cinema to myself and then I didn't. Someone else came in. So maybe that soured my mood. I'm looking, I'm reaching for reasons that I didn't like uh, this okay. because I completely okay, agree Paul. with you. This is the thing that would normally be I, up my street. I will 100%. say this to you. It's, like, no, it's not pressure to change your opinion because your opinion is as valid as any other opinion. I would just say this. <laughs> when the Blu-ray or whatever, yeah, it's going to be 4K Blu-ray in your case, of this movie comes out just like have a couple of beers and watch it again and let's come back and see if you feel slightly differently about it because i think you might i really do i will think you no, I, do you know i will I, I i will give it another go it's you know it it does happen sometimes like a, a, a like ladybird caught me on an off caught me on an off mood and we've I publicly apologise to you on Ladybird, so maybe this will be maybe this will be the second public Instagram apology of a, of where I apologise to sort. yourself, uh, to yourself and Julius Avery. So Julius Avery, if you're listening, if I rewatch it and I like it, I will apologise on Instagram. But I just it just didn't work for me. I don't know what it is. I I can't put my finger on why. Well, I can. I just found it boring. One, one thing we boring. certainly I think can agree on is that Peter Bradshaw's embarrassed himself because. That review, that review was for, just for those those who haven't seen. I'm sure <laughs> most of our listeners, if not all, are aware that Peter Bradshaw is is a chief a head film critic for the Guardian newspaper in the UK, uh, both sort of in print and online. And his review of this movie was one star from five, and that's fine if you you know if you don't like it. Like you're saying, Paul, you're not super enthusiastic about it. Totally fine, totally valid. But in this review, he has basically front loaded the review by saying that um, the 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 plotting of this thing is appealing to uh, it. What he 
well, the, it's not his term. He doesn't coin the term, but in incels, in meaning uh, involuntary celibates, uh, which is this uh, term that people bandy about now for people who want to have sex with women but can't because the women don't want to have sex with them and therefore become sort of misogynistic because of that. Now, I just thought it was like an irresponsible... It was my entire early 20s. It's an, it, <laughs> less on that, the better. Um, it, it just seemed like an entirely irresponsible way to go about reviewing anything because, like... I, I, for, for first of all, I think it's grossly unfair on the film to um, imbue it with the sense that in some way this movie is is misogynistic because I don't think that that's anywhere near on base. No, there's a, no at way. All. It's not a chance. Um, no, it's not misogynistic in the slightest. And secondly, like this kind of withering, disparaging attitude that he seems to have for anybody who is well under the age of sixty and plays video games um, of a sort that he finds difficult to fathom. I think just like shows the limitations of the man as a critic at this point when it comes to things that are outside of his wheelhouse just give it to someone else like you know well yeah yeah no I completely agree and he's sitting he's sitting there criticizing people that play video games essentially on the basis of the fact that Red Dead Redemption 2 had, had a 75 million dollar opening weekend which is the highest gross of any bunch entertainment of form incels, ever incels man bunch of incels <laughs> yeah. but also like yeah you, 75 million pounds worth know, of incels this apparently this is exactly <laughs> the kind of situation where other publications that are available you give this to Kim Newman you give this to your, yeah, your genre you guy you, Newman, your yeah. genre guy you give this yeah. to your horror movie buff you give this to your you would normally give this to Paul Anderson you would normally give yeah, this to me you give it to Paul Anderson <laughs> and he goes oh I just wasn't yeah. really bothered it was alright I don't know I was in a bit of a weird mood but yeah um so yeah, interesting one, Overlord. I mean, from my side of the equation, I think this is sort of stupid, pulpy nonsense fun that just you know is gonna satiate people who want to see something that they'll forget like an hour after it's finished, but you know will will enjoy taking in and delighting in whilst it's on screen. I think from your side, Paul, it sounds like maybe this is one that you could miss. Yeah, I I can't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I still don't. I'm lost for words. I'm lost for words, Pete. I really wanted to like it. I expected to like it. I was really excited about it, and then I didn't like it. So I'm just, I'm just lost for words and, of disappointment. And, and, and imagine how you're going to try and explain this to the actor Pilau Azbek, who uh, took five hours a day to put makeup on his face and the prosthetics to make it look like far, half of his face had been blown off. Uh, this guy from Game of Thrones, uh, those of you who don't know, uh, how are you going to explain to him that you thought what he did was just like, worthy of a shrug well i don't know let's go back to all the films you've negatively reviewed on the show and you can justify that to the actors and directors all right. i don't know why i'm getting singled out i feel i feel persecuted now i'm sorry overlord cast and crew i just didn't really like it i will give it another chance i promise but just put some fucking jokes in <laughs> fair, fair enough um so yes that one is overlord it's uh, available to uh, watch at local cinema i think on wide release at the moment yes yeah, on wide release um, at the moment yeah. we though have finished exchanging barbs and thoughts about that one so we will be back in just a moment to pay homage to a great man in the form of stan lee who as we mentioned at the top of the show recently sadly passed away at the age of 95 um we are going to count down our top five stan lee cameos after this So yeah, as we mentioned, I think as you just mentioned just before that, sadly Stan Lee has passed away. But our tribute to him would be our top five Stan Lee cameos. Um, 
Pete, I'm going to let you go first because I'm still I'm still hurting from your bashing you gave me for not like an overlord. So I'm going to reward you and let you go there, first. There's been evil in this world. You know, the Third Reich um, <laughs> performing tests in the field. And then there are people like Paul Anderson just bashing little gross horror films <laughs> for no reason. No, uh, first for me, Paul, on this list, because um, we should be talking about Stan Lee, not going back to the, that review. Uh, yes. First on this list, number five for me is the... Cam- well, we should explain... We're not here saying that this is how we rank the movies themselves. This is how we rank no, not, the, the no, little all, bit no. of joy that you get, that little few seconds with Stan Lee as he shows up as a bit character who's sort of on and off screen, blink and you'll miss him. So with that in mind, for me, is number five, X-Men Apocalypse from 2016. The reason I've put this on the list, Paul, and it could have got higher, is because this is a sequence where you've got like a, a pan along a street of uh, townsfolk looking up at destruction falling from the skies. And then as you move along this row of sort of picket fence houses, you notice that an elderly couple are clinging lovingly to one another and looking up sort of open mouth and that couple is stan and joan lee stan lee and his real life uh, wife and it's just like a, a lovely moment again it's all of like two or three seconds but a lovely moment yeah. to see I, as far as i know and i'm really not the authority as we've established many times on this show when it comes to the, the world of comic books but i think this might be the only time that stan and joan have been on screen together um so yeah if not you know i i'm wrong but yeah a lovely little moment that one's my number five x-men Apoc- apocalypse from 2016 paul what's the number five for you uh, number five for me is uh the cameo from age avengers age of ultron in 2015 uh, this is where the Avengers are all having a bit of a shindig, shall we say? Uh, Stanley is in the kind of in the corner of the bar. Uh, mumbles, criticizes, I think Thor because he hasn't served in the war. Um, has a bit of a crack at him, uh, and then is walked out of the party drunkenly mumbling Excelsior, which is his very famous catchphrase. Uh, yeah, it's just very very funny to be honest. Um, and yeah, it's one of my one of my favourite scenes. And just to see just to see a drunk Stan Lee is great because I can imagine that's probably what he would have been like in real life. I'm not drunk all the time, I hasten to add. But yeah, it's just a very uh, it's a very sweet and quite funny uh, cameo. So that's my number five, Avengers Age of Ultra. Nice. Number four for me then is taken from Captain America Civil War from 2016, same year as my previous pick. And in this one, Stan appears as a mailman outside the room in which we have Cap himself with another very prominent MCU figure. Uh, and he uh, sort of leans in and says to the two men, uh, well, to the, to the other man that I haven't yet mentioned, are you Tony Stank? <laughs> and it's like su- such a small but well-written little line because, of course, an r has just been turned into an n which is also plausible as well as funny for a male man so uh, and just the way that he says the word stank as well makes me think about rappers and stuff so i liked it uh yeah that one's captain america civil war from 2016 this is going to be a short countdown paul but i'm enjoying myself it is going to be a short countdown yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna unintended i'm not just gonna pad it out with nonsense either it's just gonna be a short countdown and that so what's be the it. number four for um you? so number four for me is uh from 2017's thor ragnarok um where i've got him written down here i'm not really sure what to describe his cameo as i've written down in my notes as a sci-fi hairdresser um so this is essentially where stanley appears to be employee of the grand master um and cuts thor's hair 
um, which I think is brilliant because I remember there was an outcry. Well, there was certainly an outcry from my wife when people realised that in Thor Ragnarok, Chris Hemsworth wasn't going to have that mane of hair anymore. So to have Stan Lee being the one that cuts it, and he has this ridiculous, like, multiple-bladed implement on which he cuts Thor's hair off. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's Stanley doing it is great. Chris Hemsworth's response is great. And it's one of the... Uh, actually, it's probably one of the standout comedic scenes in that film, to be honest. So, yeah, it's really good. That was my number four, Thor Ragnarok. And that's the same movie in which you've got uh, whatever the rock monster's called that um, that is voiced yes, by the director, I've who I've also forgotten. forgotten the name of. Yeah, yeah. cool. Great, great input there from me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> number yeah. three on my list. Number f- number three, uh, Number three on my <laughs> list, Paul, is from uh, another Captain America movie, actually. Captain America, The Winter Soldier from 2014. And uh, in this one, Stan is like the security guy at a museum. The museum is displaying the superheroes' costumes from days gone by. And he, on his rounds, notices that a particular costume has gone missing on his watch and just sort of half to the camera uh, intones, Oh man, I'm so fired. And uh, I just enjoyed the idea that Stan Lee, who is the sort of head of this well of creativity, was just this underling character who'd messed up <laughs> in, a, in a way that was at once trivial and incredibly damaging to his uh, prospects of future employment. So, yeah, I like that one a lot. What's number three for you, Paul? Uh, this is from everyone's favourite uh, Marvel film. This is from Ang Lee's Hulk way back in 2003. I don't mind that movie. It's got such a bad I rep. don't mind I the film like either. It. I I quite like it. I think it's it's a very different take on the comic book movie from Ang Lee, without a shadow of a doubt, which I think is probably why a lot of people don't like uh, it. And but I maintain that up until the end, where the Hulk just fights a cloud of nothing, it well, is Well, and also, good. <laughs> it's got Jennifer Connelly's tear ducts in it, so it can't be that bad. Anyway, Paul, what's the actual <laughs> well, more Better than Jennifer Connelly's tear ducts. We've got, uh, we've got two cameos for the price of one here. So you've got... Um, at one point in the film, you get two security guards leaving a leaving a building or a science lab, I believe, in this case. Uh, one of which is played by Stan Lee, and the other one is played by Lou Ferrino, the original Incredible Hulk. How good is that? So just to see Lou Ferrino and Stan Lee next to each other, and they have a conversation about beefing up security. Um, yeah, so that's great. That's a little bit of joy. It's perfect. In, in yeah, that it's film. perfect. It was actually yeah. we we did a li- we don't usually do any consultation on our list because we want to keep it all organic. But on this one, we didn't want to like step on each other's picks. So that was one that easily would have made my list. But um, obviously, we didn't want to cross over too much. Um, number two, I'm up to then for for me of Stanley's uh, best cameos is all the way back in 1995 in the Kevin Smith movie More Rats where you have the Jason, the character played by Jason Lee, who is heartbroken at the time, and he's looking through the window of a store in the mall, and he can see a happy couple, and his brokenheartedness is suddenly remedied because he looks to the guy who's trying to give him some advice, who's sidled up next to him, and just says, holy shit. And the reason for that is that this man (laughs) extends his hand and says, yes, hi, I'm Stan Lee. And of course, he knew that already, and it's like, you know, the most blow away that he could probably be by seeing anybody in the world at that time the same for a number of people of his sort of age and generation so that was the first I said this to you before we recorded Paul but I think that would have been the first Stanley cameo that I ever was aware of when I 
to be honest, having not grown up on comic books, be- became kind of more aware through the mo- movie Morats of like okay. why yeah. this guy or how this guy well, yeah, was. Yeah, because Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith is a massive exactly, comic and like so, in that movie, they yeah. make a real point about how venerated he is within the comic book uh, community. Yeah. So yeah, this one Morats from 1995, the first one I saw, and I think one of the best Stan Lee cameos. What about you, Paul? What at number two? At number two, I've got from Iron Man in 2008, where. Uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark walks into, uh, well, he's walking somewhere, and he walks past a man in uh, a recognisable kind of gown, so draped by some uh, busty beauty, shall we say, uh, taps him on the shoulder, and he says, Hi, Hef, and it turns around, and Stan Lee is Hugh Hefner, and I'm going to just say no more than that. It was What's great. What's the <laughs> other one as well? He's mistaken as a, a, a talk show host, American talk show host. Oh, um, Larry King. King. Yeah, thank you. I forget which film that's in now, but yeah, he's mistaken as Larry King, yes, at one point, which is great. <laughs> so, but yeah, so all the way... Hugh, Hugh Hefner, Iron Man 2008, that's my number nice. two. All the way to number one. So uh, we're going to get Jack to splice in the actual clips for our picks for number one here. Uh, sorry in advance, Jack, but you know, you've got to earn that zero pound salary somehow. Um, for, top for me then, the number one spot. It's, I would say, one of my least favourite MCU movies, but it is my favourite Stanley cameo as evidenced by sticking it here. This is from Spider-Man 3 from 2007. It's not strictly an MCU movie either, Pete. I'm that, just having it, you know, it's not strictly Does that MCU. not count? Why does it not count? <laughs> no, because it's not part of the, the current expanded universe. Tom Holland oh, is the MCU God, Spider-Man. I don't care. <laughs> All right. One of my least favourite stupid comic book movies for children is Spider-Man 3. No, I, I'm kidding, of course, but it's, it is rubbish. Uh, yeah, this. Uh, so you've got Peter Parker in the street and uh, Stan Lee next to him. And he says to the Peter Parker character, you know, I guess one man can make a difference. Nuff said. And like, to me, what better way to remember Stan Lee and his legacy than that line maybe not from that movie because like I say Peter Parker does a dance in it it's quite bad but that line beautiful Paul what's the number one? Oh no 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 I should say uh, here's a little clip you know I guess one person can make a difference enough said So my number one is, and what a better way to remember Stan Lee than as a sleazy compare in a strip club in the film Deadpool, um, where I think he introduces a dancer called Misty at some point. Uh, this is 2016's Deadpool. I think he introduces a dancer called Misty and possibly one other. But yeah, he just um, it's probably the best I've seen him act, to be honest. Or maybe he isn't acting. He just looks like he's having a grand old time uh, introducing some strippers to the stage. Uh, that is my number one, just because it's, it's one of the funny. It's the one, it's the one that makes me laugh the most I think so that's that's why it's hit my number one spot uh here it is hey coming on to our stage right now give it up for chastity Nice. So to close out this section, Paul, I would say, obviously, um, from what we've mentioned before, both of us affected in, in our different ways, as so many people are by the passing of, of Stan Lee and the legacy that he leaves behind you, you speaks for itself, doesn't it? And I would say to um, further the list that we've counted down, both from Paul's side and my side, there is some generous soul on YouTube who's done a super cut of all of the Stan Lee cameos in all of the movies, which... 
it made it made preparation for this episode oh, a lot so easier. Oh, so much thank easier. You for that. Yeah, <laughs> th- thank you indeed. Yeah, so um, I would say, you know, it, it's 10 minutes of your time. Just check the whole thing out because it's glorious. Because not only do you get to see all these sort of um, cheeky little bits and pieces that Stanley uh, was able to do in those movies, but also you get this very quick journey through the development of, uh, I'm not going to say MCU movies before I get shitted on for making a mistake again. <laughs> But like, yeah, all kinds of Stanley Universe movies, both uh, animated and live action with these cameos. I mean, there's one in, I didn't include it on the list, Paul, but that one in uh, Big Hero 6, where the Big Hero 6 style of animation is used uh, for yes. the Stanley model. Yeah, to be his dad, isn't it? He's the character's yeah, dad. Yeah, it's, lo- it's lovely as well. So there's loads yeah. of gems in there. Check that out. Uh, it's freely available. So what are you waiting for? Um, talking of... Should we just bounce? Should we just bounce straight into the next section? We yeah, we will, Paul. We will bounce straight into it after this little break. So yeah, we're talking of obviously Stanley's lasting legacy. I think we were just going to do a, a brief kind of wrap up on what's coming up with the the MCU really, and, and what's next for Marvel. Uh, most people will be aware by now that I believe at this point the deal has been approved. So Marvel have bought Fox. Um, essentially, well, no, they have pretty much bought Fox, um, and that means that there will be no Disney have bought Fox, sorry, and Disney, the parent company of Marvel. So that essentially means that all the characters that you're used to in Fox superhero films, such as the X Men, I think Fantastic Four, people will probably pick me up on if I get this wrong, like I just picked up Pete on MCU. So X Men, Fantastic Four, Deadpool, um, that's the, all the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Anyone that's had, a, yeah, anyone that's had a Fox-based superhero movie is now will now probably be back under the umbrella of Marvel and Kevin Feige um, in the MCU. So this is quite exciting, I think, especially for comic book fans, because this means that we can finally, we may finally get the X Men appear with the Avengers. Uh, Wolverine comes back under the the Marvel banner. Um, so yeah, this is this is quite exciting for me at least, Pete. I think. What do what, what do you think of this? First this, of all, I was good, just going to ask like an absolute moron's question then, or maybe just a, a realization that I've just this moment had. So my misunderstanding, I think, stems from this fact: Marvel characters from Marvel comics yeah. are not uh, synonymous yeah. with the MCU because the MCU is purely the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The right. Cinematic so in this universe. case, yeah. Marvel characters are then divided between those companies that own the rights to put those characters on screen. So Sony have, Sony have got Spider-Man, although they share him for um, the MCU purposes. Uh, Sony have also got Venom and the Sinister Six. I think they're working on different films on that. And then Fox certainly have Fantastic Four, X-Men, Deadpool, and someone else. So yeah, so the, the core MCU films, Pete, are basically the ones, the, the Marvel ones. So the, any any of them that link together. So any of the ones, any of the Avengers films, basically, and any of the characters are in that. So you've got Black Panther, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, the list goes on, really. So those are the, the core MCU films. So I'm very excited that we'll see some characters, we'll, we'll see a lot of crossovers now, and the fact that Marvel have got all, all well a lot more of the characters back again. So, I mean, it gives a lot a lot more scope for a lot more comic book films. So if you don't like comic book films, tough so, shit. So would you say this is way. a little bit like when the UFC bought Strike Force? You've got to translate it. Yes. You've got to translate it into UFC language are. I understand. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my only... My only concern on it would be is is well where, where where do they go with the more R rated stuff? So Deadpool obviously is not family friendly in the slightest. 
uh, where did Disney go with the Deadpool character? Do they just wrap it up because there's, it's not it's not you wouldn't normally see Disney producing films of that nature. So that's one of my concerns. And Logan as well, obviously, it, well, that came to a natural conclusion. But I can't see Disney making a superhero film as violent as Logan. Um, so that's my slight concern: is maybe we won't get the darker takes on mm. some of these characters anymore. But at the same time, to see them all on screen is it a together bit like would when be pretty Coca-Cola cool. bought Costa Coffee. <laughs> no, yes. no, but see, I'll try and come up with a serious <laughs> question. So, for you, because this is, yeah, you know, we've established this is more your area than it is mine, but like, it seems like then what I'm getting from this is that the good side of it is that you allow more flexibility in terms of which characters appear on screen with which other characters. So, there are more ramifications or, or I should say, yeah. combinations available um, between these different worlds, different uh, groups of, of superheroes, and so on. On the other hand, is there an argument to be made for the fact that this might be detrimental to the extent that Disney being this parent company and exerting so much control over so many Marvel characters is potentially going to put, like you're mentioning about the Deadpool issue or whatever, is potentially going to put the brakes on some of the creative possibilities for some of these characters on screen? In short, yes. And I think that's that's probably a concern if, if you like the more the more adult-focused material, I think you're going to end up coming up short. But I think, for the most part, I think it's positive because Disney and Marvel have done an incredible job of realising their characters on screen, arguably a lot better job than Fox have done. I mean, I like most of the X-Men films. I think they're decent, but they're not a particular... With the exception of probably Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, I don't think they've nailed but, the characters But then as a counterpoint, well Paul, I mean, the Fantastic um, Four movies have all been perfect... So how can that be? <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So why would you need to improve those? So as long as they leave, yeah, they leave the Fantastic Four well alone. Thank you very yeah. much, Disney. Get my your, my get number one comic book adaptation <laughs> of all time has got to be probably yours too. Is uh, Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer, which is like it's one of those films that sort of um, it goes above and beyond a, just a mere comic book movie. I mean, this is like you you talk about this in the same breath as an Orson Welles, wouldn't you, or a, a Coen Brothers? Because no, I mean those are. Yeah dreadful so i mean if this movie uh, sorry if this deal can get rid of some of the dreck that has been produced in the past then that side of things has got to be positive right yeah i think so yeah and i just think i think going back going back to the stanley situation it's kind of a shame that stanley won't be around to see it because i imagine he'd be of all the people who would be excited to see this probably more than anyone i imagine he'd been jumping up and down of joy to see the, the x-men and the avengers together on screen um, but yeah, I think overall, I think it's a positive move. I think also you're not going to see any I, you, once. I imagine once Avengers four is out or Infinity War two is out, you're going to see a whole raft of Marvel announcements again because they haven't announced anything because that would basically give spoilers for Infinity War two or whatever that film's going to be called at this point. So um, yeah, I would anticipate early part of next year seeing a lot more announcements right. again. Can I can I before sure. we wrap up, Paul? Can I run a couple of things by you that I know nothing about, which is kind of the theme that's emerging here. Uh, I know nothing about, and just get your hot take on these things. Um, I am putting you so, on the so spot. Okay, <laughs> so I've, I've you read, uh, read here from an article in front of me that uh, one of the things that is going to be uh, bundled up with this deal is the Super Scrolls. What on earth? Important? Yep. Big news? It My favourite of all the things is the Super Scrolls. I can't speak <laughs> highly says, enough well, of it. Well, it says here, Paul. Uh, it's not my knowledge. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It says here the Scrolls are a as a species okay. have already been confirmed for the Captain Marvel movie. Oh, the right. I, I've got you. Yeah, yeah. The, 
Yes, so they're oh they they're, are, they're power um, mimicking. I know, bandits, I know what they are. Apparently. Yes, so they are villains. Uh, and you see in the uh, yeah, I do know what they are now. The in the um, Captain Marvel trailer, you see Brie Larson punch an old woman in the face. That old woman is likely to be a scroll. Or it's or, just uh, yes, <laughs> or it's just she's dark. a shapeshifter. Or potentially, or potentially, what they could do in, and I'm pretty sure they did this in the comics. What they could do is that they could re- drop a real bombshell, and one of the Avengers be, has been a scroll in the entire time, which be, would be quite a cool plot twist. So you uh, could see okay, it going. I'll, that I'll way. give you another one. So, yes. um, it may have been in these original or the the three movies that they've made in in recent times, but I just didn't notice. Uh, but it sounds like an awesome MMA fighter <laughs> nickname, so I'm going to give you. Annihilus. Apparently, Paul, Annihilus is to the Fantastic Four what Thanos is to the Avengers. I thought it was Galactus, wasn't it? Huge issues for heroes on the universe-altering level. He also rules the negative zone. I rule the negative zone. Although, to be honest, Paul, you were ruling the negative zone when we did our feature review today. So, uh, yeah. The- <laughs> yeah I, I didn't like Overlord. The more you talk about it, the less likely I am to give it a second chance. Um yeah, Annihilus is not a character I'm that familiar with, to be honest. Although it says here there's a rumour that he might be the big, the, actually the big bad in uh, Infinity War 2. But there's rumours, there's so many rumours floating around about Infinity okay, War 2 or I'll, whatever it's going to be called at the moment. So Annihilus, yeah, Annihilus, I think is up there with Galactus as one of the more powerful Marvel villains. Kang, no, Kang the Conqueror, Paul? Kang, Kang the, the Conqueror. Conqueror? As I said, I know Any these thoughts? better than you, but I'm no expert by, uh, a, by a long okay. stretch. Okay. Okay, I mean, this, is the, this is the last one, because this one just looks faintly ridiculous. Namor, yep. the Submariner. <laughs> <laughs> I failed this well, test. This... What, what this has showed me, Paul, that is... Well, I, I no, it's my fault because I've put you on the spot. But like, what this shows you is that um, even within the mind of a massively well-informed comic book guy such as yourself, I've never claimed to be that well-informed. Still comic to be explored. So, comic book film-wise, yes, I'm quite good on. I wouldn't, I wouldn't label me with that. Otherwise, I'd have got all of. I those. think it's just in my mind, Paul. It's been built up as relative to me. You are like the <laughs> yeah, oracle. I think that's fair, yeah. So yeah, because I know nothing, I just assume that you know everything. But. That's a fair assumption. Relative to you, yes, I am a specialist. Relative to, uh, a, to someone that's properly into the comic books, I am not. And I would never claim to be. And, and, and it turns <laughs> out, I think, that something in the Marvel Universe is based in Basingstoke. Because apparently there's a place called the Savage Land. I've just seen here. So all kinds of reasons. So, hold to on, stay hold tuned. on. You're having a pop at me for Overlord, and then you're having a pop at my hometown now. <laughs> I'm enjoying myself. I think I want off this show. To be honest, I think this episode's. I'm done with this episode. Well, Let's slam mate, it down I think and walk off. I like, think we're uh, both done with like this Preston episode. from that area of Nevermind the Buzz. I'm delirious <laughs> and slightly overheated. So yeah, we should bring this thing to an end. Um, however, we just want to say before we sign off, as we always do, that you can get in contact with us via social media. We are strangers in a cinema. Find it. It's not that hard. In addition, all of the archived episodes of the show are available through our SoundCloud uh, sound SoundCloud 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 page SoundCloud. uh going all the way back to like yeah the first few I think maybe episodes 1 and 2 might not be there but everything else uh so get on that cuz you can kind of use it as a way of trekking back through films that have been released over the last well up to and including about 4 years at this point Paul um in yes. addition to that, when this show is uh, available to you, please make it available to other people. We appreciate every time somebody shares the show, says something nice about it, even slags it off or tells us how we're wrong. Or, 
or just puts a review on iTunes. If we get 200 reviews on iTunes, we might be able to get on Rotten Tomatoes, Pete. So put just put a review out there. on iTunes. Put a review on the back of the toilet door in your local pub. Because if even Don't one person... Encourage I've behavior. encouraged it, Paul. Don't I've already encourage done it. that behaviour. Okay, John will make, do it. John make will do sure it. you're in uh, the savage land of Basingstoke, and then you can do that. It's fine. But no, seriously speaking, uh, yeah, all the people who've stuck with us appreciate you, and all the people who come on in the future, um, well done. You have immaculate taste and it only drives us to make it better so like we've got to the level of mediocre but we are actually <laughs> hoping for average to above average in the future paul so we got we got strides to make we've set ourselves achievable goals hopefully. exactly exactly um any final words mr anderson before we sign off uh, no in that case uh <laughs> catch you next week we've been strange in the cinema bye goodbye shut up and sit down, shut up and sit down.